Well, good morning, Johnson Ferry. Good morning. All right, there it is. There it is. I know it's 1130, but it is such a good time to worship God today. I hope that um, you're ready for us to dive into the Word of God together this morning. We will be going to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John in New Testament, and we will be looking together at chapter 19. For those of you who don't know me, I'm obviously not Pastor Clay. My name is Adrian Kutzer, and I get to serve you on our awesome team just helping people to find Jesus and grow in Jesus and then making Jesus known. Now, if you've been with us these last couple of weeks, you know that we've been uh, walking through these last sayings, these last words of Christ. And uh, Pastor Clay has done just a tremendous job kind of laying the ground for us in terms of the context and what all is going on. And this morning, we get to step into the third one of those sayings there in John chapter 19. Now, I, I, I want to just acknowledge something before we go any further is that some of what we will be discussing today, even in our text, may have a, a level of weightiness to you. And, and the reason for that is not just because of the context. We're about to read about the crucifixion. That in itself is heavy. But it may also bring up some memories and some experiences from your past, because this is just simply a very heavy, a very difficult passage and topic that we're about to discuss. Now, with that said, um, in a second, we'll be reading John chapter 19. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I have favorite childhood memories. Uh, I think all of us probably have some favorite childhood memories, especially the children here. That's probably fair. However, um, if you don't know my story, I grew up in, in Africa on the Indian, in the Indian Ocean, a couple islands there, and a lot of my favorite childhood memories have to do with the ocean, with the beach. I'm definitely a beach-happy person. Anybody else here, you happy places the beach? Anybody not? Jesus loves you too, <laughs> probably. Um, now, I, I, I love the mountains and the lakes and all that. That's all fair, but I'm, I'm a beach person. I don't mind the sand. I know. My wife hates it. I love it. But, um, you know, that's my happy place. And, and I remember growing up, many of my, my favorite memories have to do with going and visiting my grandparents, who for quite a while lived on the coast there of South Africa, just south of Durban. We call it the South Coast. Uh, if, you, if you know South Africa, you think about Margate, Uvongo, that area. Amen? That's in the Bible too. I'm kidding. But um, I, I just loved going to the beach. You know, in the mornings, we'd be getting up, my grandfather and I, long before the sun came up, we'd go down to the rocks and fished and caught some big fish. And it was a lot of fun, a lot of awesome memories just doing that. But once we were done with that, I would usually just kind of go over down to the beach to go swim. So... Uh, there's this thing in South Africa on the beaches, it's called waves, real waves, big waves, splashy waves, waves you can ride, big waves, right? I know, I know we have waves here too, sort of, but um, I just love to ride the waves. And even as a, as a child, young, a teenager and so forth, I would often go up in the mornings and just take my time and, and, and ride a lot of waves there. And I remember one time... Uh, you know, after doing all the fishing and the, and the observing nature and, and just looking at the beauty around me, I'll go for a swim, and I start wading out into the ocean there to, to take on the next wave, and, you know, it's kind of a stormy day, it's a windy day, the waves are bigger than normal, so they're wavier, right? They're bigger, and, and, I, and I see this wave forming. If you've ever been surfing or, or wave riding, you know that after a while you can read the waves. You kind of have an idea what's going to happen next. And I see this wave forming, and I'm like, that's the sweet one. That, that's the one, right? The one. And, and, and I start to turn to, to, to get just ready to start kicking. And as I turn and kick, behold, 
a great white shark swims through the wave. Now, I wasn't laughing. I don't even remember a thing. I think what happened is I developed the faith of Peter because I'm pretty sure I walked on water out of that. <laughs> um, I, I seriously cannot remember anything that happened. I remember vividly seeing the shark. It was a big one. It's not a fishing story. It's real. It was a big one. But I remember being on the, on, on the shore, on the beach, just looking out and saying, and I'm done. I, I was done. I got no more beach for me that day. It, 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 it was a terrifying sight. But you know what? I still love the beach. The beach is still my happy place, my favorite place to be. It gives me peace and so on. And I still get in the water, even though I know what's in the water. Now, those of you who like lakes, when you can't even see the bottom, I don't get it, okay? But I still love the ocean. Now, in many ways, the text we're about to read this morning kind of makes me think of that because it's not going to be a happy place. I'll tell you that right now. It's not going to be a happy place for any one of us. But it's going to be a good place. And, and I want us to see the beauty for what it is and, and, and just understand that there's going to be some unsavory moments even as we look at the beauty of this text. It's kind of like mosaics. You know, if anybody here has ever done or seen mosaic, you know what I'm talking about? Those pieces of art where people would take uh, lots of small pieces, usually tile, usually ceramic tile, and they take those colors and they assemble all these broken, jagged, chipped pieces and they form this beautiful art, these beautiful pictures. Um, the text is going to do that today. We're going to see a lot of brokenness. We're going to see a lot of chipped, broken pieces. But I want you to even now re-prepare your mind to see the beauty in this text. Deal? All right, if you found John chapter 19, I would invite you to stand with me as we read from the Word of God together. We will be reading verse 25 through 27. It's only three verses. Everybody's ready? Now, beside the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. Let's stop there and let's pray. Father, even as we open your word and as we continue our time in worship, God, by, by approaching your word, Father, with humility, with submission, I pray, Father, that you would make it clear to all of us, Lord, what it is that you're saying what it means to us, Father, and how you want to change our lives and help us to walk in your ways. I pray, Father, that you would open our ears and our eyes to hear your voice clearly. And Father, we may see this morning your spirit work in all of our lives, God, transforming us, changing us, shaping us into who you want us to be. I pray, Father, that you would speak. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. And thank you for standing in reverence for the reading of God's word. You know, we only got to read three verses. And some of you may be familiar with the context. I think it is so important for us all to understand that this is a scene of deep and profound brokenness. Not just in these three lines, but even in the context. 
You know, if you, if you, if you know what's going on here, this is uh, kind of later on in, 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 in the, the narrative of the crucifixion, a little later on when after Christ has, has ministered and Christ has been tried and condemned to death, he is now hanging on a cross and there is deep and profound brokenness. If you read the different gospels and you read the different historical accounts that we have of these hours, which there are many, by the way, we're given so much more and, and there's almost a weightiness in the fact that John keeps even these few lines so short and yet it's pregnant with so much meaning, with so much, so much weight, with, with so much anguish, but also beauty. And if you know the story, you know that Jesus has come into Jerusalem triumphant. He was acclaimed by a crowd welcoming him, hoping that he would be the one to set them free from the Romans. But very quickly at the instigation of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the people turned their back on Jesus. He is betrayed. He is taken to trial. And throughout the gospel accounts of his trial, of his condemnation, and even of his crucifixion, we are told that the crowd is present all the time. That the crowd is, is, is loud in the background and in the foreground. The crowd is, is inescapable. And even here at, at, at this scene that we have here in John 19, we, 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 we hear of this crowd. We can almost hear their voices in the background. And, and if you even just take your imagination to the moment, this is a weighty moment. The, 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 the air is heavy with the heat of the mid-afternoon sun. The air is heavy with the dust in the air. The, the air is heavy with the cries of the prisoners being executed. The air is heavy with anguish. The air is, is heavy with all of this stuff, with all of this commotion, with, with all of these emotions. And there are people, even here at the crucifixion site. The other gospels and historical accounts tell us that there's a crowd. People from all over who came into Jerusalem for the Passover are present. They're around. They were riled up. They're swinging their fists. They're yelling. They're cursing. They're teasing. We're told that there is teachers of the law, people who had authority over them, who, who are kind of egging them on, who, who, who are making much of, of what is taking place because finally, after a few years of, of arguing with Jesus and being made looking like fools by Jesus, they finally got their way. Jesus is dying. He's on a cross. Finally, we're rid of him. Come on, people. See, he lost. We won. We're told that they're soldiers, Roman soldiers, who've been given the task of executing Jesus and the other prisoners. And, and we're told that even they, even while well, they're busy, frankly, they don't care what's going on. We're told just the previous couple of verses that they're right there at the bottom, at the foot of the cross themselves, and they just have Jesus' clothing and, and they're gambling over it. Who's going to get his clothes? And then we're told, finally, these few individuals who are kind of scattered in a crowd, right there present, watching. We're, we're told of Mary and Mary, and maybe even another Mary. We're told of these ladies that that are there in their brokenness, who are there in their anguish and their grief. We're told especially of Mary, 
So she becomes a central figure even in this reverse, and that is Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now again, John here writing this gospel doesn't give us a ton of details, but I tell you what, if you, have, if you want to understand what's going on, just think about a mother watching her son being executed. I, I wonder, I can't help but wonder if her mind goes back to, to the very beginning of the story, right? Luke 1, Luke 2, where when angel appears to young Mary and tells her that she is going to bear the Son of God who's going to come and save the world. Imagine her thinking about that and looking at her son. I, I can't help but wonder if she thinks back to all those hours where she where she rocked him to sleep at night, where maybe she played with him, where maybe she told him stories of his ancestors, of, of his great, 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 great granddaddy, David. I, I bet you she's at least thinking about that story in Luke where, where uh, Mary and Joseph go to the temple to dedicate Jesus as they were supposed to. And, and there they encounter this, this kind of strange man named Simeon who's been waiting for them in Luke chapter 2, verse 34, 35. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a son that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Jesus is eight days old probably when this happens, or very young at least. And she's told that, yes, he's Jesus, the one we've been waiting on, but also Mary, a soul, your soul, your soul will be pierced by a sword. And you can't help but wonder, Mary, for all those years, I've been wondering what that sword was, what that was. And here she's probably broken at the foot of the cross looking at her son. She says, now I know what that sword, my soul. I know what it is. The pride of walking with Jesus all those years. And you look up. Can you be proud of that? We have the other women. We don't have a lot about them. And it's just hard to know what they were thinking. But then there's another person at the foot of the cross, right? The Bible tells us here in the Gospel of John that it is the disciple whom Jesus loved. And if you know your your Bible a little bit, you know that that is just a reference to John himself. Now again, you're like, well, of course one of the disciples will be at the foot of the cross. He's where he belongs. Wait, wait, wait. Well, hold on a minute. Are you sure about that? I mean, after all, again, let's just go look at the Gospels again. Yes, John's brother of James, one of the disciples, part of the inner circle, one of those that Jesus spent extra time with, along with Peter and, and his brother James, Right? A young man who got to walk with Jesus every day, who got to have front row seats of watching Jesus do amazing things day after day, who got to watch Jesus let the blind see, the lame walk, the dead come back to life. He got to be right there next to Jesus when Jesus would talk to the Pharisees and take them to town for their bad theology. He was there. He had that experience. I mean, he was right there. But you know where, where he wasn't? It was that night when Jesus was arrested with all of the other disciples, he scattered. And he ran and he hid. 
in a moment when Jesus needed his friends. His friends were nowhere to be seen. Here we are, and we have Mary, and we have John, and we can only imagine the shame, we can only imagine the failure, we can only imagine what they must be thinking as they're sitting there, and, and they're here for Jesus, but friends, just, let's just be honest, what can they do? What can they do? They're utterly and completely helpless. They're completely hopeless. The one in whom they place all their hope is dying. What can they do? C.S. Lewis famously talked about the death of his wife, and he talks about his experience of grief. And he says, no one told me that grief feels so much like fear. I wonder if that is how Mary And John are experiencing this moment as they're there at the foot of the cross. And the pain, the paralyzing pain of fear and grief. Now, you think about what they're going through. And at the same time, you think how the moment is is almost cheapened, right? Because here they are and they're grieving and there's a crazy crowd behind them. And then then right here, just, just to their left probably, I'm making this up, but probably right here, is, is this group of soldiers who just drove these nails through his hands and through his feet. And, and instead of just respecting the, the moment, they're there playing. They're there gambling away his clothes, completely missing what's going on. And, and, and I bet they're like, come on, man, a little respect. Because don't miss the point that they're gambling away his clothes. That means that he is not wearing those clothes. They just ripped away every shred of dignity, even from Jesus, and even from their grief, even from that moment. And yes, their hands are tied, and they're helpless, and they're hopeless. But what can they do? This is what I don't want you to miss, is that they're doing something really, really, really powerful Because the same thing had brought the women to that place. The same thing had brought John to that place. It's simply the love of Jesus. They didn't have to be there. They were brought there by their love for Christ. And the love of Christ that showed them all those years. They didn't much to bring. It's not like a movie where right at the execution, suddenly a bunch of Henchmen show up and they come and deliver their hero, you know, like last minute savior. Woohoo, fantastic. No, no, there's none of that. But they bring their love. They bring this bruised, this imperfect love, even to this broken, painful moment. Their lives were forever altered by their encounter with Christ. But in spite of that, you see these hurting, these bleeding hearts still able to scrape together their courage to show up and bring their, lo- their, their love to the foot of the cross, to the presence of Jesus. There's something in that for all of us, a takeaway for all of us, a gift, I believe, from God even. Friends, all of us, 
Every single one of us carries shame and failure. Every single one of us. I, I don't know all of your stories, and I probably don't want to know them. I don't know if I could handle it. I don't want to know what you think. I don't want to know what you think when you think no one knows what you're thinking. I don't know what you say because I know how I use my words sometimes. I don't want to see all your actions. There are plenty of things that all of us feel ashamed about. Plenty of things that all of us wish we could have a do-over. There are lots of things in all of our lives we wish that we can just forget about and we hope that the universe will forget about it. Mary and John certainly have their shame and their suffering. But they bring that to Jesus. And we all carry failures. We all carry shame. But these things do not disqualify us from coming to Jesus. There is nothing you can do that will change the fact that you are welcome in the presence of Jesus. There is nothing that you can think and nothing you can say that can disqualify you from coming to Jesus. Because that's what Jesus does. His love is greater than what we do, say, or think. But he wants to redeem that. And so yes, we can come and join John and the women at the foot of the cross. And, and it's just a simple truth here I really don't want you to miss, friends. Is that in this moment, even right now in 2024, you, you, you may have driven to church this morning in your car and you may be wearing jeans and sneakers or whatever else. But the fact of the matter is that every one of us this morning is standing in the scene with John and the women and we are gazing up at the cross of Jesus and we have to decide by the time we walk out what we're going to do with that fact. Are you going to be one of the crowd? Are you going to be like the soldiers? Are you going to be like the Pharisees? Are you going to be like Mary and John? Who are you going to be and how are you going to react to being at the foot of the cross? What's your response going to be? Because yes, we're welcome in his presence. And I want you to notice how Jesus addresses them, right? First of all, just realize this, this really powerful moment here. Because we would all, when we look at the cross... Think of this is Jesus and Jesus' experience. And yet, in this moment, we're allowed to kind of reverse things a little bit. And we're looking at the crowd through Christ's eyes, through Jesus' eyes. And what does he see? Who does he look for? As he notices Mary. And he notices John. Look at the end of verse 26. And he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, John. Behold your mother. I, I realize that most of us will not address our mother and call her woman. I think that's okay. It just translates poorly. Let, 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 me, let me translate the translation for you real quick. Here's what Jesus is saying. As he's hanging on a cross in excruciating pain, dying, he looks up or down. He sees Mary and he sees John. Mom, that's your son now. John, 
She's your mom now. You cannot miss the fact that Jesus is showing incredible care and incredible tenderness when it makes absolutely no sense. He's not wailing and complaining about his pain. Now, in a moment, he chooses to see the pain down there. He's seeing the aloneness down there. And he's speaking to that. And he's showing his love. When really, not a one of us probably would be that interested in showing love in that moment. He's showing incredible tenderness, incredible care. He doesn't just see them. He didn't just nod at them. He speaks to them. And he does something beautiful, something glorious, something that we cannot miss. Because what Jesus does in this moment when he says, Mom, your son, John, your mother, is he is creating a new community. He's creating a new family. He's bringing them together when they were alone. And that family, that community, my friends, is sacred because Jesus declared it to be. Even in the brokenness and the darkness, something good came. So this community is gathered at the foot of the cross. I can't help but think back to Genesis chapter 2 after creation, after God has created the heavens and the earth and everything it contains and he's created Adam and he gives Adam his marching orders and, and he watches Adam. And then God makes this incredible statement looking at Adam. And he says it is not good for him to be alone. In many ways, we have another work of creation, a work of recreation, a work of redemption taking place here. Where even here, God sees the aloneness of Mary, the aloneness of John. And he brings them together saying, it is not good for you to be alone. Let me bring you together. This is what God does. He gathers people to himself. Jesus shows how he cares for others, regardless of what he is going through, regardless of his own situation, regardless of the agony of the pain and the suffering and the moment, regardless of all of that, Jesus cares for them. As a son, he cares for his mother. As a friend, as a leader, he cares for his friend, John, and he puts them together and he brings kindness. And even in the brokenness, even in the ashes, even in the absolute brokenness of the moment, he manages to create something beautiful. Because that's what God does. He brings redemption. You imagine, many of you have seen that movie where, where Thanos snaps his finger, right? Right? You know what I'm talking about. Thanos snaps his finger and, and half the population just disintegrates into dust. And it's all ashes. In many ways, what's taking place in, in the text here is the whole world is going to ashes in a moment, and even in the middle of that wasteland, Jesus brings about beauty. Jesus brings about something glorious, something heavenly, something sacred, because he declared something into being. There's a level of creation taking place. It makes me think of the Japanese art of kitsugi. I don't know how to pronounce it all the way. I'm sorry if I mispronounce it. Do you know what kitsugi is? Anybody here knows what it is? 
That's a couple of hands. I love it. I love it. Here's an example of kintsugi. So, so this is usually just everyday use, earthenware used to be used in the kitchen. And, and, and you know, you can imagine your noodles, your rice, your soup, your tea, whatever you want to put in there. They're just, just regular things, but they would break. And instead of just discarding it, instead of just throwing away these things that had a utility, what they would do is they would take and put the pieces back together and use this sort of gold-infused resin to put it together, to fill the gaps. And now it becomes art. Now it becomes something beautiful. I, I read a story this week as I was looking into this about a little girl who broke her mother's favorite bowl. It kind of looked like the one on the right, actually, at top right. And, and she just accidentally broke it, and she was distressed and and just very sad about it, and she took it to her dad, who happens to be an artist, and her dad put the pieces together using this form of art, and, 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 and it was beautiful, and, and even as she's crying, still wondering what her mom is gonna say, here's what her dad tells her. He says, it's okay. It will be even better. We look at our lives and we see the pieces. We say, there's no way this is good for anything. We see our thoughts and our words and our actions. We see the trail behind us of destruction of broken vessels. What you see happening here and what you see happening at the cross, what you see happening in the suffering and the death and the resurrection of Christ is Christ saying, it will be even better. You think back at passages like Psalm 147, verse 3, when we're told that he heals the brokenhearted and he binds their wounds. But Jesus saying that he wipes away every tears. And when Jesus in his moment sees his friend and sees his mother, he says, you are now family. And he resets their identity. He recreates something beautiful. My friends, our experience at the foot of the cross may be very personal, but it does not have to be a lonely one. And that is something that is so incredibly beautiful because we are all broken. We are all a product of humanity and its messes. When we gather at the foot of the cross and we're welcome there, we're all welcome. And we're there with others. Today, we're all here at the foot of the cross, every one of us. We're all people in this scene. We, we may be pilgrims. Maybe we're curious onlookers. Maybe we're scorners. Maybe we're brokenhearted. Whoever we are, we're there. And what God is doing is he's breaking barriers. This is what I want you to do real quick. Look up. Look around you. Look at the faces in this room around you right now. I see like five heads turning. Look up. Look, look at what's going on in this room. Usually what I want you to know is, is when the world looks at church, when the world looks at the people of God, and they look at who is the people of God, all kinds of people who seemingly don't belong together. It doesn't make any sense for us to be together. It doesn't make any sense for us with all of our stories to be together. It doesn't make sense for us with all of our messes, with all of our nonsense, with all of our sin, with all of our failure, to be together. You see, what Jesus does is he breaks down barriers. In the text, there's an older woman and a younger man, gender, age. Throughout the Gospels, the New Testament, 
It's the orphan. It's the widow. It's the foreigner. It's the stranger. It's the Greek. It's the Jew. None of these belong together. All of these naturally drift towards aloneness. But Jesus brings us all together. And that is something beautiful and profound that's taking place right here. My friend, you must choose what you do with your time here among the crowd at the foot of the cross. And so I want to leave you with three truths, three realities that you cannot afford to miss this morning. The first reality that you really, really, really cannot afford to miss is this, is that those who are, those who, those who are here today, those who are in Christ, have a bond deeper than blood. Mary and John are not kin. That's a good word for you right there. They're not kin. They're not related by blood. Culturally, it'd be just fine for Mary to to be discarded in society because she's probably a widow at this point, probably alone, even though we know she has other children, but we just don't know where they are in the story at this point. Culture then has it. That's her problem. John, well, he's got a life of his own, probably, maybe, possibly. But what Jesus does is he brings people together. And that's why it's so important for us to look, guys, even as we do church, as we do the family of God, as we do the people of God every day, it's important for us to think about what it is that we do together, why it's so important. Things like this, like gathering in worship. It's a display to the world and to one another of who we are brought together by Christ. When we do things like partake in the Lord's Supper, communion, it's a reminder to us, one another, that we are brought together by the body and the blood of Christ. When we witness a baptism in worship and we watch someone symbolically identify with Christ in his death and his resurrection to walk in newness of life, it's a reminder to all of us of who we are, no longer dead but alive in Christ. When we sing and when we worship, it's reminding one another of the truths of what we believe and who we are. We are not just blood family, blood related. We're related by the blood of Christ. And that is powerful. And it runs deep. And it changes everything. It's something only God can do. We change our perspective from coming together and saying, well, what about me? And we move even beyond the, well, what about them? And we move directly to, what about Jesus? Because when we are gathered at the foot of the cross, our eyes are reset and our hearts are reset on what is our purpose, and that is the cross of Christ. It is the fact that our Savior came to save us, to die for us, to pay the penalty of our sin in our place, that we may be reconciled to God. But then he came back to life on the third day, and he defeated death once and for all. And then he says, go and tell this story. It's not about me, it's not about you, but it's truly about Jesus and what he stood for. The second reality that you cannot miss this morning is that only God can push through the pain and the loss and the grief to fashion something beautiful. It makes no sense to the world we live in There are people who can come together with their brokenness and still find hope. 
It makes no sense to the world we live in that there is a hope that is greater than what we are experiencing right now in the world we live in. There's redemption. Even in this dark moment at the cross, there is redemption to be found. There is the light even in the darkness of this moment as there is light in the darkness of our current moment, of our contemporary moment. And again, I don't know what your story is, but you're probably here this morning and you're carrying something in your suitcase of life. There's probably some darkness, some weight there, some pain, some suffering, some grief, some shame. It makes no sense to the world that there is a place where we can put that suitcase down and trust Jesus to give us relief from it. The same Jesus who said, bring to me your burdens, I give rest. It's something only God can do. Here's a third and final reality you cannot afford to miss this morning. You have no choice but to decide what you do with Jesus on the cross. Again, we're standing there, we're with the crowd, we're looking up, whether you like it or not, my friend, you didn't expect walking in this morning, let me tell you that, but here's the deal. You're at the foot of the cross. You're standing in that dust-rotting little area outside of Jerusalem, that little mountaintop, and you're hearing the crowd around you, you're hearing the voices around you, you're hearing the boos and ahs, you're hearing the pain and the suffering, you're seeing the blood and the gore. You're looking at Jesus and you have to decide what you're going to do with it. You can show indifference. You can be one of the soldiers just playing. You can show anger. You can be one of the Pharisees. I got what I wanted. You can show rejection or indifference. Or you can do what John and Mary do and they bring their love. What are you going to do? Because when you walk out these doors in a few minutes, you have decided what you do with Jesus on the cross. You know, when I talk to people, especially in our community, more and more, what I hear is people saying, well, I'll figure it out when I can wrap my mind around Jesus or when I wrap my mind around God and the things of God. Can, Can I just be brutally honest with you? If you ever get to the point where you've wrapped your mind around God and the things of God, well, in the South, we say, bless your heart. I'm just going to tell you very bluntly, that's not the God of the Bible. That's not Jesus on the cross. The ways of God will never, never, ever be captured by the mind of a human. We'll never understand all the hows and the whys of God. And we'll probably always struggle with the reality of pain and suffering. But if there's one undeniable thing that you have heard and that you have seen this morning, even in these three verses of John 19, is that you have caught and you have seen and you have tasted of the compelling love of Jesus. Because in a moment where he didn't have to, he still chose to give love. In the moment we didn't make sense, he still chose to show love. And you've seen it. You've heard it. And what are you going to do with that? Let me 
Because at the cross, there's no neutral bystander. Just walking by, just perusing. At the cross, there's no innocent bystander. God says we have all sinned. We're all guilty. What are you going to do with this moment? I'm going to pray for us. But I want to be absolutely sure by the time you walk out this morning that you have joined John and Mary. So even as I pray and as we continue our time in in worship, as we think about this son of suffering we're about to sing off, I want to encourage you, just just hang on, just hang tight, just pray. Just be sure that when you walk out these doors, you're walking out hand in hand with Mary and John. Not with the soldiers, not with the crowd. If you want to talk to anyone, we'll have people here at this table. I'm sure some of us will be available in the front to talk to us. What are you going to do with that moment, my friend? Father, thank you. Thank you for this moment. That is a sacred moment where we encounter you, where we spend time with you, where we listen to you, and when we are changed by you. But I pray that you would show each and every one of us, Father, just the extent of your love. You'd open our eyes, God, to who Christ is. And I pray, Father, that everybody who walks out of this room today, Lord, would, would walk out with a conviction that they're walking out hand in hand with Mary and John, brought together, God, by the love of Christ, believing that Jesus is who he said he is, the Christ, the Savior, the one who came to die for the sins of the world so we might be reconciled to God. May we admit, Father, our sins. May we admit, Father, our failure. May we bring to you, Father, our suffering and our pain. But above all, God, may we admit this morning that you are God. And we want to walk with you and be changed by you. Pray, Father, that you would speak as we continue our time of worship, that you would speak conviction, God, in all of our hearts.